0: Some of you were here last week, some weren't, but our theme that we explored was courage. So we were talking about how we're practicing in this, um, on this path, the courage to be present. And it takes some courage because it's not so easy to be present. The courage to live to our truth, what really matters to us. And I think I've got another definition that to me is the most compelling which is that courage is really the willingness to stay with fear a little bit longer. You know, just whatever we're normally, where we normally say enough and and leave. It just, it's something in us knows that there's freedom and there's awakening by just not absurdly longer like we're gonna re-traumatize ourselves but just the wisdom just to hang in a little longer. I mentioned at the end of last week that this week and next week we're going to be exploring really the trance of fear, how we get caught, how we wake up. And I like to do that fairly rhythmically in these classes because really if we look underneath so much of what's going on, whether it's anger or grief or jealousy or restlessness or whatever, underneath if we're able to hang in there and pay attention, there's fear, there's some core knot of fear, like this self is threatened, something's gonna go wrong and there's a kind of a tensing against that. So this week we'll explore what I sometimes call the body of fear and that's a bit out there now in the literature, a different way of of describing it, the way our body and our mind and our emotions coagulate into fear and a bit of, of being present with that and next week some more pathways for working with what's difficult. I like to begin usually by saying that we th- sometimes we think that there's something wrong, that fear is happening and that fear is not a mistake. I mean it's absolutely wired into our nervous system it's not unnatural, it's almost like if we didn't have fear we'd be brain-dead basically you know, we are supposed to have fear, we can't survive without it fear lets us know that we have to do certain things to protect ourselves and take care of ourselves and it arises from our limbic system which is responsible some of you might remember this for the four F's feeding fighting, fleeing, and reproduction, so... (laughs) So the Buddha describes that we have this universal perception that with incarnation there's a perception of separate self here and world out there. And we have the capacity to wake up from that sense of duality but that's the kind of way we come in. We have this perception and that um, with that there's fear. And you can find it in the Vedas, I like the way it's described, they say, in the beginning there was simply the absolute, the mind of the absolute present in the infinite dark. Then within the mind of the absolute there arose the thought, I am, and immediately following that thought there came fear. So that with any sense of self, like I'm here, world's there, there's some fear. Now, we might not feel it as fear. We might feel it as some tension, some agitation, some edginess, some restlessness, but there's something. William James describes the beginning of all religions and all spiritual paths as starting with the cry, help. And I think that's really interesting. That there's some apprehension of, yikes! I'm here, and this world is uncertain, and everything is going to go. This mind's going to go. This body's going to go. The next moment's uncertain. And so there's this real existential angst, and there's this sense of help, and then religions unfold out of it. What we turn to? What do we take refuge in? And as we've explored here often our reflex, the way we take refuge, the way we try to find safety is something that actually ends up keeping us more stuck and feeling separate So what we'll be exploring here really is how we turn to refuge in a way that actually frees us But as as I mentioned, I like this terminology that the primal mood of the separate self is fear so it's there, this apprehension of impermanence this clinging to existence and then we can see it through all the different kinds of creatures from single cell whether it's the, just the basic kind of contracting of cells to the heady heights of human beings that have these really complex ways that we, have, that we apprehend what's going to go wrong and tighten against it but it's all the same it's all the sense of something's wrong and tightening to deal with it one mother tells the story of going into her young son's room when there's a thunderstorm and he's scared and he's crying and and he and he says, Mommy, will you sleep with me tonight? And she said, honorable i I've got I'm gonna sleep with your dad. And there's this long pause, and then he says, The big scaredy cat, you know. <laughs> so it's like all of us really. And so it's an evolutionary message to protect, but the deal is we lock into overtime. And this is where suffering happens. That, yes, these bodies and minds are supposed to be afraid and and navigate with that, but what happens is that we get caught in the fear and then we begin to weave a lot of worry thoughts and stories about what's going to go wrong and we get fixated. And one of the most well-known lines from Mark Twain is that the worst things in my life never actually happened. You know, that thing of like how many moments we are getting ready for something terrible to happen and some of them do but many don't. The bottom line and when we say the trance of fear is that rather than just the Wholesome warnings that um, watch out, put your foot on—you know—don't put on your foot on the brake too fast. It's slippery. You know, be careful, drive carefully. Whatever it is, that we get caught in this constant state of agitation, where the mind is always anticipating what's going to go wrong. The stories about what's going to go wrong are constantly there. The biochemistry that goes along with that which really affects our organs and our heart and our digestions is all, all cooking and then our behaviors come out of that and when we're in the trance of fear most of our behaviors are fear-driven. Most of the ways we deal with others in those moments are to protect ourselves from how they might be perceiving us. Most of our um, addictive behavior is to kind of in some way numb or take care of the agitation So we get caught in this kind of reinforcing cycle, in this trance of we have certain thoughts, they set off certain feelings in the body, that sets off certain behaviors, that convinces us that yes, in fact, we're a threatened self which creates more thoughts and we get caught in that kind of cycle. This is the trance of fear. And the suffering is that when we're in that biochemistry and cocoon of thoughts and so on, we've lost sight of who we are. With any amount of being fixated in fear we've disconnected from a quality of of wholeness and of love. We can't feel, we can have ideas about love, but the visceral sense of love it doesn't go when we're fixated in fear. There's no sense of wonder. There's clearly no peace. So what happens is when we're in the trance of fear, there are very few moments that we're remembering the mystery of what we are and the wholeness of what we are. It's a painful place to be. And clearly we're not intimate with others. So let's just take a moment and reflect. Um, just check in for yourself and, and just scan a bit. Maybe scan uh, today, yesterday... And when I ask you to do this, this kind of reflection is with the intention not to judge, but just notice okay, how much has this body-mind being here been living inside some sort of an atmosphere of fear? How much of this day was flavored by some maybe anxiety about what I needed to do or what was coming up? if I was doing well enough, good enough? How much anxiety has there been regarding other people? The signs or flags of fear are usually a speeding up A disconnecting from the body, mental preoccupation, judgment. The signs of not being caught in the trance of fear really a sense of presence, spontaneity, intimacy. Stephen checking right now in this moment, sensing if there's any underlying assumption that something's wrong or something's about to go wrong. Again, this is without judgment, just to begin to scan and be aware of the trance of fear. Is there some background assumption, feeling, sense, that something's wrong or could go wrong. You can check your throat, your chest, your belly. Often, when we start checking in, we find mm, there is that kind of clutch in some way. Okay, so opening your eyes. Okay, so the basic teaching, fear becomes suffering when we start fixating and organizing our life around it, when it really takes over. In other words, it's not just a signal to pay attention, be careful, but it really starts shaping not only the externals of our life, but really our whole sense of self. We have an identity almost as a fearful self, like a self where something's wrong or something's going to go wrong. And what does it mean to be fearless, have a courageous heart? It doesn't mean that there's no fear and it doesn't mean that we're without a sense of things could go wrong. What it means is that we're aware of something larger also. We're aware of awareness, we're aware of the big picture. I sometimes use the metaphor of an ocean with waves that we might feel waves of fear, but there's still some sense of the ocean that our whole being's not lost inside those waves. There's something larger that we belong to. So this is uh, Rumi. Be empty of worrying, think of who created thought. Why do you stay in prison when the door is so wide open? Move outside the tangle of fear thinking. Live in silence, flow down and down in always widening rings of being. Move outside the tangle of fear thinking. Live in silence. Flow down and down in always widening rings of being. In the trance of fear, we're living in a very narrowed, confined sense of ourself and our life, and you can feel it. You can, it's almost like looking out a window, and it's gotten very, very small, and your sense of yourself is very tight. And as we wake up from fear, it's widening rings of being. Now what fuels the trance of fear, and this is kind of the key to beginning to wake up, what fuels the trance of fear is that rather than just opening to feel it, that uncomfortable, unpleasant sensation that most of us know when we really get caught, rather than just saying, oh, fear, and letting ourselves feel it, we do anything but feeling it. That's what fuels the trance we run away from it, we numb it, we get busy, we do anything we can, prove ourselves right, blame others, anything but just sit down and feel what's uncomfortable in this moment. Okay, a little classic story. Once there was a man who got so upset by the sight of his own shadow and was so unhappy with his own footsteps that he tried to run from both. But each time his foot hit the ground, he realized he was still taking a step. And equally disturbing, he saw that his shadow never once fell behind. Not about to give up, he ran faster, 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 until finally he dropped dead. What he never grasped was that by stepping into the shade, his shadow would vanish. By simply sitting down, being still, there would be no more footsteps. So we're going to be exploring how we step in the shade, how we come into stillness. But first, to to begin to become aware of how we're running away is essential. Because as long as we run away from fear, there's no way to begin to befriend it and wake up in the midst of it. So we begin to look at what are the ways, both subtle and overt, that we keep on running away. And a hint is, each time we recognize the running away, the antidote, the healing, is just to be present with that. Okay? But we'll get around to that. So, internally, we pull away from the trance fear by just contracting in our body. And it becomes so familiar we have been contracting for so many years in the face of fear that our bodies have areas in them that are really tight that just feel like, oh, this is just the way my body feels we're so familiar with this contracted body of fear that we don't even notice it's kind of a defending against vulnerability so usually the shoulders become knotted and raised the head forward back hunched, chest sunken if you reverse all that, it actually opens you to a lot of energy and vulnerability so that's the way we kind of tighten against fear it's a permanent suit of armor but again, it's really familiar so we don't notice it but this is the the kind of more subtle level of we avoid fear by tightening against it in our body so relaxing is actually really courageous because when you begin to soften and relax you're no longer controlling against the fear. Does that make sense? Just saying, okay, relax. When people say that to me, I find myself, I get offended, just relax. It's not easy. In fact, if you start deepening your attention with mindfulness, you'll notice that you'll relax and within moments those same areas have recontracted. So a lot of the practice is re-relaxing and then re-relaxing and re-relaxing and noticing if you relax your belly very quickly for many of us there's a feeling of fear softening the belly actually because we've so armored and tightened our belly for so long against the fear because that's one of the places that the nervous system registers fear that when you soften in the belly it actually puts you in touch with vulnerability So that's the first place, is to begin to notice in the body. It's Chogyam Trungpa says, as long as we're trying to hold on to our existence, in other words, control against fear, we're a bundle of tense muscles protecting ourselves. So I mentioned, the hint was, the antidote was in each area that we're avoiding fear was a relaxed awareness, so just to begin to relax in an awake way begins to undo that defendedness. I think it's interesting to note that the word worry, uh, the Anglo-Saxon root, is uh, the meaning to strangle or to choke. Okay, so one level of running away from fear is this tightening in the body. The next is that the mind gets trapped in these rigid patterns. And have you noticed how much we live in this little cocoon of our mind and how much it just keeps spinning the same stuff? It gets very rigid and very repetitive. For instance, we might have physical pain come up and immediately we go to town on what disease has finally reared its ugly head. Have you noticed that? Especially those of us that are getting older. <laughs> I mean, just flips into it right away. So this is, again, we're, we're you know, taking false refuge from fear, we immediately start spinning what's going to go wrong and what I need to do about it. Many of you have heard me here describe, this is the Jewish mom who sends a telegram to her son saying, start worrying, details to follow, you know? And I love that because it's the way we are. It's like, you know, we don't have the information all in, but we're just preparing ourselves with our worry thoughts which, of course, is strangulating in some way. Okay, so we're talking about ways we run from fear. Planning. Some of you might know in your heart of hearts what an obsessive planner you are. I mean, many of us do that one. Rehearsing, anticipating what's going to go wrong. Figuring out. You don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you find there are a lot of moments that on some level you're trying to figure something out. This is, again, defending against fear. So I, um, I often know whenever I plan to give a talk, part of me goes, uh-oh, because inevitably, no matter what the topic is, I get plunged into having to experience it from the inside out. It's like, I don't know, the universe is just forcing me into the topic very viscerally. And so I made it through a lot of this week without being caught in major fear. But then today... My husband, Jonathan, kept giving me weather reports. That was a big mistake. <laughs> he kept telling me how it was gonna freeze over at what hour and what that meant in terms of our driveway, which goes like that, and then the road after it goes, you know, and so I was just building up, you know, like my mind was just running through, you know, I called Rose and asked her for her cell phone, and you know, I just had all these worry thoughts going on. And then going down, I we parked the car, you know, about a quarter of a mile from the house because I didn't think it, I could drive out. And just going down my driveway, almost fell down, and you know, so it was like my body was completely tense. This is called, you know, the trance of fear. I was, my mind was spinning with all the things that could go wrong. And um, initially, when I was driving, those of you that know Georgetown Pike in that area, it's it's pretty bad, you know, but it really wasn't that bad. And it then got easier and easier. But it took my belly and my mind that was spinning much longer to figure out that it was easy because it was just on such a roll of being in this trance of fear I just set it up but it wasn't super suffering because I knew I was going to be giving this talk I thought, oh good, now I have my trance of fear example (laughs) and that meant that I was watching it and in any moment that you're aware of what's happening you're not living inside it so much That doesn't mean I was disconnected but it meant my sense of identity wasn't in the inside the sense of the fearful victimized you know challenged self. There was more residing in the awareness that was aware than in the selfing. So those are two levels, the body tenses, the mind starts spinning. The third level is that our emotions kick in which are all the feelings in the body so that Even if your mind says, don't worry, it's all going to be okay, your body is feeling the the biochemistry of the affect of fear. It just feels like I'm not okay. And not only that, the emotions proliferate. In the trance of fear, not only are we fearful, but we feel ashamed of ourselves for being fearful it's like fear reflects badly on who I am and there's some sense of weakness or not okayness as a human for feeling the fear so it's got this added layer of vulnerability okay so there's the body tightening the mind spinning the emotion of not okay and then we start acting out of it and again if we scan our behaviors if we stop in the middle of Midstream of things we're saying and things we're doing and check in, we'll find there's usually a kind of clutch of fear in in the chest or in the gut and then in some way there's a sense something's wrong or something's going wrong. But often the nature of fear-based behavior is the last thing we want to do is stop so we don't stop and check in. Pausing is one of the antidotes to fear. So fear ends up manifesting in our behaviors in all sorts of ways. One is just in the tone of our voice. It's like you, we don't want to give it away, but people can tell. Even when they're not conscious, they can pick up fear because our voices, our throat contracts. And the, I was with a friend recently who was speaking in public and was nervous and I could feel that choked quality in her voice. I could hear it. And then, of course, the words we say. When we're afraid, it's harder to speak the truth. It's harder to be honest about who we are because fear in some way has a sense of they won't like me, what's here is going to be rejected. So we present ourselves versus just be ourselves. We mislead. One friend has a child who's lying some and um, when we started exploring it, it became very clear she's just afraid of the consequences of the truth. We, we can't be real with each other. There's posturing. And then of course it's institutional. It's in our society. We're in a fearful society that expects others are going to take advantage of us, mistreat us, lie to us, steal from us. So in our political system it's a given. Misleading is a given in our institutions. Some of you might remember this, but I'll share it with you because it's so good. These are actual statements found on insurance forms. And we all know how we feel about insurance companies. Now, are we our authentic self in how we communicate with our insurance companies? Here's a couple of the statements. I had been driving for 40 years when I fell asleep at the wheel and had an accident. In an attempt to kill a fly, I drove into a telephone pole. (laughs) The guy was all over the road. I had to swerve a number of times before I hit him. (laughs) I collided with a stationary truck after coming the other way. Coming home, I drove into the wrong house and collided with a tree I don't have. (laughs) One more. I pulled away from the side of the road, glanced at my mother-in-law, and headed over the embankment. (laughs) So our way of being in the world is contorted when we're afraid. In a basic way, we don't take risks. When we're caught in the trance of fear, um, we're not free to be creative. Um, I just read recently that the African impala, when it's in, a, uh, in its natural environments, it can jump 10 feet high and leap like 30 feet But when it's put in a zoo and you put like a three-foot wall around the enclosure, it won't jump over it because it won't jump unless it can see where its feet are going to land. And there was something about that, reading that, that really struck me that when we're living in the body of fear there's um, this carefulness of what's going to go wrong that stops us from living our lives. It stops us from taking leaps. It stops us from being creative. So the first step in this process of awakening from the trance of fear is to begin to catch it, which means to have the courage to pause, to have the courage to check in and an interest, an interest. Like it was a a little bit easier for me driving into town because I was really curious to notice the elements of it and then be able to share it. But to have the interest to get to know how does this body-mind contract away from presence. And in a way it can bring up a lot of compassion because really we jip ourselves by leaving presence all the time and we miss out on our lives. I love the language that Pema Chodron uses when she calls it the big squeeze where every day we get caught in the trance of fear I mean every day we get caught feeling like we might not be enough and like things have to happen and they might not happen and we get tight and we get caught in this kind of these kind of looping thoughts and we also in some deep way sense this beingness that's here, that there is this capacity to touch the sacred and to love without holding back and to really come home. There's some yearning and some sense behind the yearning that there is a holiness that's here and possible. So we're caught in that squeeze The challenge in waking up from the trance of fear is that it's very, very deep conditioning to run away. As I mentioned at the beginning, um, it's our first reflex, is to not feel the rawness and the vulnerability that's here, it's our first reflex. And yet the good news is there's something in us that really wants to wake up and be whole and be free. We really long for that and we wouldn't even be coming here to a gathering that's really centered on mindfulness and presence unless something in us intuited that that's really what we cherish. And we'll still get lost in our conditioning and we'll still avoid stuff but something in us knows. So the teaching is when we're caught in this trance to be willing to pause and begin to bring presence to what's happening here. What's happening? Can I be with this? Can I be with this? To begin to bring presence. And one of the great descriptions is when the resistance is gone, when there's no resistance to fear, like really no resistance, then the demons are gone. There's no suffering. There might still be uncomfortable feelings, but there's no sense of a self that's tormented by them. The resistance is what creates that sense of a suffering self. So that's the, that's the great language of it. The challenge is um, what many of us have discovered as bargaining mind which is, okay, I'll be with this fear so it'll go away, you know. And that doesn't work. As they say, it knows that we're bargaining with it. So it has to be a very sincere, authentic, courageous presence. If you remember from last week, courage, this greatness of heart that really, truly, sincerely values presence more than any contracting that's willing to be with what's here now sometimes it's described as if we struggle against the fear of course it gets bigger and that our freedom comes when there's an absence of struggle okay, story for you this is uh, Pema Chodron describes this uh, lecture about a man's spiritual experience in the in India in the 60s. And this man was determined to get rid of his negative emotions. He struggled against anger and lust. He struggled against laziness and pride. But mostly, he wanted to get rid of his fear. His meditation teacher kept telling him to stop struggling, but he took that as just another way of explaining how to overcome his obstacles. Now again, bargaining mind. So finally, the teacher sent him off to meditate in a tidy, tiny hut in the foothills. He shut the door and settled down to practice, and when it got dark, he lit three small candles. Around midnight, he heard a noise in the corner of the room, and in the darkness, he saw a very large snake. It looked to him like a king cobra, and it was right in front of him, and it was swaying. All night, he stayed totally alert. Keeping his eyes on the snake. He was so afraid that he couldn't move. There was just the snake and himself and fear. And he stayed. And he stayed. Just before dawn, the last candle went out and he began to cry. He cried not in despair, but from tenderness. He felt the longing of all the animals and people in the world, and he knew their alienation and their struggle. All his meditation had been nothing but further separation and struggle. He accepted, he really accepted wholeheartedly that he was angry and jealous, that he resisted and struggled, and that he was afraid. He accepted that he was afraid. In that acceptance he also accepted that he was precious beyond measure, wise and foolish, rich and poor, and totally unfathomable. He felt so much gratitude that in the total darkness he stood up, walked towards the snake and bowed. Then he fell sound asleep on the floor. When he awoke, the snake was gone. He never knew if it was his imagination or if, he had really been, if it had really been there, and it didn't seem to matter. As he put it at the end of this talk he gave, that much intimacy with fear caused his dramas to collapse and the world around him finally got through. It's a challenging teaching to not run away from fear. One Zen master said that his approach when fear arose was I agree, I agree. And that's kind of a good one. We need a kind of invitation because we so habitually spin off and just uh, tighten up with the merest hint of fear we just check out, it begins to really develop compassion when we see the pain of that that really, because it happens so much, that means that there are huge swaths of moments that we've just checked out of life, we're not able to be intimate. So what I love about that story is this guy stayed and he stayed and he stayed and in that staying, because it takes so much presence to stay, that his stories collapsed and then there was just this space in other words not only are we learning to bring presence to fear so that we can sense a freedom in the midst fear, being with fear is a gateway to a huge, vast, tender love because the amount of presence it takes to stay becomes a very infused intensified state of presence that we become absolutely embodied with in other words when it's easy times it doesn't take as much presence we don't have to let go of as much so there's this gift which is that if we begin to trust where the ocean begin to trust that presence we're not so afraid of the waves and the more moments that we have the courage to stay a little longer and i'm not talking about plunging right into the cauldron it doesn't always have to be that dramatic just stay a little longer like for maybe 10 seconds Notice that there's fear, but instead of going online or eating something or getting away, stay just a little bit longer. In those moments, we begin to trust the presence that has room for fear. We begin to trust that there's this sea of awakeness and the waves can come and go, but we have a home that we can come to. That's true refuge. I'm talking on an individual level but really this is an expression of the evolution of consciousness that in more primitive levels there is a reflexive contracting and in human trance there is this contracting where we just stay busy or we lie Are we overeat. And the evolution of consciousness as we start getting it, oh, that's the trance of fear. And the more evolved responses Let me stay a little. Now, next week I'm going to explore how it's not always possible to stay very long and if there's trauma, it's not even wise. That we owe it to ourselves if if there's been a lot of trauma to be very gentle and gradual in how we lean into fear. So this is not like a teaching that fear comes, well, if you're courageous and committed by God, you're going to... You know, it's not that. But there is a basic trajectory of a kind of learning that when there's fear we can begin to soften and stay a little longer, that that's the invitation. And every time we do, we start building a confidence. And this confidence, it's called in the um, Tibetan tradition, the lion's roar, and it's a deeper happiness than any of the (laughs) typical ways we think are going to make us happy because with this confidence there's a sense that I don't have to defend against what's around the corner so there's this freedom to really live and savor and engage fully with what's here the lions roar and it's basically this confidence that we can handle what comes up which includes death which includes our own death, which includes loss of absolutely everything because the truth is we are going to lose absolutely everything that is around the corner and if we're tensing against that our whole lives we never bring a fullness to the wonder and the beauty and the love that's here so the lion's roar begins to give us a sense of this oceanness of being that really can handle what comes up as we start getting more familiar with the trance of fear it almost feels like this, um, I mentioned worry as strangling we can almost just feel this clutch that's keeping our being smaller than it naturally is we can almost sense, it's kind of a physical energetic sense that we're not free to be what we are Rumi puts it this way, he talks about waking up from the trance in this way, he says I've gotten free of that ignorant fist that was pinching and twisting my secret self. I've gotten free of that ignorant fist that was pinching and twisting my secret self. The universe and the light of the stars come through me. I am the crescent moon put up over the gate to the festival." So this ignorant fist, ignorant means ignoring the truth, it's not a its not a Bedard of thing, that there's a conditioning, a conditioned habit that we each have to ignore the truth of the love and awareness that really is our source, that's always here as our refuge. It's always here, it's intrinsic to what we are. So this ignorant fist is that contraction that doesn't remember that, that forgets that that ocean of goodness and being and it keeps squeezing us and squeezing us and when we become aware of how that's happening as we spoke tonight, how our body tightens, how our mind spins how we act out and lash out and blame and soothe when we start pausing when we start just bringing a gentle awareness to that that fist begins to open and as Rumi says the universe and the light of the stars come through me really feel the truth of our belonging okay so we'll close as we often do just do a brief meditation on a bit of the the currents that I've been talking of so this is your chance to actually check in on some of this and this is your chance to pause, to actually live the practice. So, as you let the attention go inward, let yourself feel your breath. Let yourself feel your body right now, whatever's going on. And should you have a situation that's in your life right now that's, that brings up anxiety, that brings up fear, you might let it come into consciousness. And when we meditate, generally, we don't have to go looking for things. Life just presents itself and we just be with it. But this is one of those more applied meditations this short little guided meditation where you might consider work or relationship, situation with a child or a parent, where you know there's some anxiety or feel, fear of not enough that something could be lost, something could go wrong. And if it helps you to exaggerate a little just so you get a taste of this meditation of what it is you're really afraid could happen... So you can begin to investigate this body of fear, the trance of fear, noticing how the thought patterns go and really what you are believing could happen, what you are believing about yourself. and most important investigating how that feels in your body so just feel your throat and your chest and your belly and even if you've got no situations in your mind let this be a meditation where you gently softly open to the experience in your body it's as if you're saying yes to whatever's here unconditionally very gentle this is what it means really to step in the shade, to come into the shade of presence to stay to have the courage to stay with fear a little bit longer stepping into the shade of presence staying just a little longer, feeling what's here in your body and your heart very gently So no matter what you are feeling right now, it might be tiredness or restlessness, it might be fear or sadness or numbness, that this is the gift you offer to step in the shade, to pause, and just to offer a gentle presence. Again, the words of Rumi, I've gotten free of that ignorant fist that was pinching and twisting my secret self. The universe and the light of the stars come through me. I am the crescent moon put up over the gate to the festival. May all beings have the courage to bring presence to fear. May all beings have the blessing to discover that awareness and love that is great enough to hold this living and dying world. May all beings awaken and be free. Namaste. The teaching you have received has been freely offered. If you would like to contact the Insight Meditation Community of Washington to make a donation or to learn more about our programs, please visit our website at www.imcw.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.